1: the Fox News radio studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, closing out the Friday edition. So glad you're here. Howie Kurt to the bottom of the hour. Admiral James is standing by, and we have a lot to discuss today, and we're supposed to... I'll uh, get some breaking news right when the show comes to a close. We'll discuss that and we'll follow everything else because it looks like the president is in full uh, midterm election stride. And if so, if he's not running for election, no one told President Biden. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories
3: you need to know,
1: it's Brian's
3: Big Three. Number three. It's really hard to accept this outcome, frankly, even a year later after haven't indulged it for all of this time and certainly today we we honor our troops the 13 troops that were killed there protecting the afghan people
2: american security a year since abby gates suicide bombing we now know how easily this could have been prevented according to the cia the bomber id days before but not allowed to take them out now 13 americans are dead hundreds of afghans and vladimir putin is putting together a massive recruitment push
4: because that war is bogging down for russia
5: Number two.
4: It would be highly unusual to have an affidavit become public in the middle of an investigation. This never becomes an issue at the end of an investigation because all the stuff gets turned over in discovery.
2: Interesting. Andy McCarthy weighing in. Redactions are done and the release may be uh, any any hour now as the judge in the Trump raid case is poised to release that affidavit, which may or may not let us know why the DOJ would raid the compound of DJT.
6: Number one. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They embrace, embrace political violence.
2: Yes, Liz Cheney wrote that. Uh, all in for 2022, as Joe has the midterm angry glow and really disturbing revelations about 2020, which hit up all Republicans crying foul, even Liz Cheney and adding Kinsiger. By the way, just quick note if you ever want if you ever miss the show live and I hope you never do and want to get the podcast, a lot of you are doing that, and we thank you for that. Admiral James Travitas, welcome back.
0: Good to be
7: with you, Brian.
2: One year anniversary since the the explosion right. at Abbey gate What's, what are your remembrances? What do you think one year later?
7: Uh, it just feels so heavy in my heart thinking of those Marines and everything they were. Trying to do uh, this was at at this point uh, a humanitarian mission. They were trying to get um, our friends and allies, people who had worked with us for years out of there safely and their families, like many other veterans. I was involved in moving groups of these Afghans to that to that very gate and i I feel we've still got work to do to understand what happened. You mentioned the CIA report. I think we need to continue to understand why this withdrawal went so very, very badly. So I feel sadness, Brian, above all.
2: I know. But the thing is, you must be frustrated, too, because this is what you and the generals do for a living. You spend decades doing this. But politicians, just by the way, our government is set up ultimately made that decision. They did not listen, it seems, to the military expert that said, if you pull all our troops out and do not give any type of coverage and gradually do it, the Afghan army more than likely would collapse. And it did. Without air cover, with the sense that America was leaving regardless, they said either I save my family, save myself, or I stay here and die. And they
7: left. Indeed. And um, I think it's it's worth contrasting, by the way, what happened then and what is happening now in Ukraine in the sense that in Afghanistan, you know, leadership matters. And when President Ashraf Ghani uh, grabbed a bag of cash and got on a helicopter and left, contrast that with Vladimir Zelensky, who stayed, put on his hunting gear and went to the front lines to fight. Um, Afghan leadership failed. Our military uh, failed in how we executed that withdrawal. The the bombing is a pretty good example of that. And I think thirdly, you got to, I hate to say this, you got to give credit to the Taliban. They mounted an effective, high-speed, fast-moving campaign, and it shattered the will of the Afghan military and ultimately the Afghan people.
2: But a lot of you military experts predicted that because America was leaving and they knew with Pakistan's help and all the supporting terror regions and money, they stood no chance.
7: My uh, views on this are well known. Um, I felt, uh, and I still feel to this day, that uh, pulling our troop levels down below 15,000 troops, which was where it sat when the Trump administration came in, the Trump team moved them down to about 7,500, and then the Biden team came in and pulled the last 7,500 out. Uh, both administrations, my view, made mistakes. Um, I think we could have remained in Afghanistan, had control of those strategic bases, continued to uh, ensure that the work of 20 years would not be thrown away in a, a single series of, of sudden withdrawals. So yes, I I believe we should have stayed. But nations are like people, Brian. They they make decisions. There are consequences, and we move on. That's where we are now on Afghanistan.
2: So there's a story that came out that I referred to uh, earlier, and you did too, so obviously you read it, that this Abdul Rahman Al-Laghari was at Bagram in prison where he belonged, a terrorist. And he was hanging out in Kabul airport two days a couple of days before the actual explosion, he's believed to be the suicide bomber. The CIA identified him. Everybody knew who he was, but they were not. They were not given orders to kill him. He ends up being the bomber, and the administration won't confirm it. But it's a, it's a uh, it's a poorly held secret within circles like yours. What could you tell me about this?
7: Um, what I'll tell you is, um, if there is one organization that uh, lived up. Uh, to its uh, reputation in the events following the collapse and during the collapse, it's the CIA. Um, They did a superb job predicting a lot of what ultimately occurred. They did outstanding tactical kinds of uh, information. They got their people, uh, many of them out uh, clandestinely and overtly. Um, the CIA can be very proud of its efforts in those days. Brian, I don't know the details of this particular Should we know, report. though? Do you
2: want to get to the answer on this?
7: I would. Uh, yes, I do. I absolutely do. And I think that needs to be done. Um, and and uh, And we need to draw the lessons learned and find out if the reports are true why a decision was not made uh, to move with, shall we say, more alacrity in eliminating the threat. Um, clearly, there is more to learn about this.
2: How many people did we put in in those last weeks into Afghanistan rapidly, roughly?
7: Uh, I think we we managed, depends how you mean, I in, think 10,000? Oh, yeah, I think that's a good round number. I was just going to say that.
2: Can you imagine if we just told the Afghan army, look, We're backing out. We're cutting down. We're going to hold on to Bagram, but we'll be able to surge 10,000 troops in a a blink of an eye. Uh, We'll be here and provide periodic air cover. This thing would have lasted and you would have had an additional chance to give some of the gains that you guys sacrificed your lives and limbs for uh, to take root. I mean, it's so obvious, even at the time, for a non-military person like me to see what was happening, and NATO was never even informed what we were doing. They had said they were getting their reports about our actions through news reports. That, to me, is unacceptable.
7: Yeah, the, uh, another aspect of this that deserves uh, a thorough look and an understanding of what happened is the coalition aspect of this, which you allude to correctly. And you could see the, the disjointed nature of this. The Brits were moving in one direction, the French in another, the Germans pulling out of the north, mazar Sharif, sharif uh, the Italians coming out of the west. It, it just was not a coordinated effort. And we we tried to do it too quickly. Uh, We set an arbitrary date trying to match up with the 20 years we had been there. That was another mistake. We should have at least stayed until the winter when the Taliban would have been much suppressed by the weather. Um, There are all kinds of lessons that need to be pulled out of this. And um, it's the coalition. It's the work of the intelligence community. It's Gate itself. It's the collapse of the Afghan government. There's plenty to learn here.
2: So I asked uh, General Keene if China acts the way it does and Russia builds up troops and invades, which they did, cut 32, if we didn't leave Afghanistan the way we did.
3: Yeah, I mean, we can't prove it, but the facts seem to support it. Months later, Putin shows up with 170,000 troops on the Ukraine border. He invades a few months after that. China has become considerably more aggressive uh, with Taiwan, and it began way before the most recent aggression over the Pelosi visit. The Iranians up their game in, in terms of their proxy wars that they're fighting in the Middle East and certainly trying to kill Americans on American soil. I think the facts speak for themselves. Our adversaries were, are, were emboldened.
7: You want to weigh in?
3: I completely agree with
7: General Jack. And, and, and I'll add two other factors at play in Putin's mind, by the way, Brian. Um, not only the chaotic nature and the way we did not stand with our allies— But a second factor was COVID, and the uh, and the whole way in which the West um, was disjointed and uh, kind of uh, finding its way and changing its mind, it it, it appeared to create a lot of uncertainties. And then number three, uh, Brian, I think Putin looks at our divisions and our discord here in the United States. He put all that together. He said. They're distracted by their own internal politics. They're distracted by COVID. Their military doesn't look very competent, uh, looking at the events of uh, of Gate, and he decided to make his move. By the way, I think he miscalculated, and he's getting a pretty bloody nose at the moment. But yes, I agree with Jack Keane that... Uh, you can drop a plumb line from events in Afghanistan to the invasion of
2: that. Hope they realize that uh, from the White House to the Pentagon. Uh, Ukraine now. Uh, it turns out President Putin on Thursday ordered a sharp increase in the size of Russia's armed forces, a reversal of years of efforts by the Kremlin to slim down their bloated military. Now they've lost at least 80,000, uh, also over a dozen generals. They' are now experiencing somewhat it seems to me a guerrilla war in some of the in Crimea and the surrounding areas, so where's Vladimir Putin getting these guys? he doesn 't want to do a draft. What is he going to do
7: um, he doesn't have very good options brian and and by the way, he is trying to raise one hundred and forty thousand troops, which would be maybe a ten percent increase in what his army is on paper he's probably lost those level of forces already in Ukraine. Um, Where does he go to get them? Well, we know a couple of places. He's going to the jails. Um, He is uh, literally throwing open locked cells and saying to convicts, okay, you're going to the front lines and we'll pay you this, and we'll commute this part of your sentence. He's also opening recruiting. Think about this, Brian, he's opening recruiting to all males 18 to, wait for it, 60 years old. Um, You know, I'm in my 60s. I don't think the Navy's looking for Admiral Stavridis to come back on active duty, but I could probably get a contract in Russia and go to the front lines. Uh, He is going to, thirdly, um, try and offer huge financial uh, bonuses. That may have some impact, given how the economy is grinding down over there. But bottom line, He's got a demographic problem. He's got a motivational problem and he's got a logistics problem getting people into the military, trained into the front line. This is not going to work out well for Putin.
2: There's a sense among some Ukrainian officials that Jake Sullivan specifically will walk up to them right before the election and say, guys, uh, that's it. Uh, Let's just uh, They can keep what they got. Have you heard that?
7: No, I know Jake Sullivan. I don't believe he would do that. Um, I've heard him consistently, both privately and publicly, say our job is to put the weapons in the hands of the Ukrainians and they will do the fighting. And then when it comes time for a negotiation, those will be decisions for Ukrainians. I've never heard uh, a scenario, as you just described. I hope you're right. Uh, what about
2: with uh, the move? I think the K is silent, but he's always called it Kirsan. Uh, in that area, it looks like that's going to be the the place people are looking at to see Ukrainians yes. get on the offensive before the winter.
7: Indeed. And it's key because it is the gateway city to Crimea, which for Putin is really the, the crown jewel, so to speak, of this in, invasion, is that he can solidify his illegal uh, control over the Crimean Peninsula, which is very valuable. Strategically, it sits out into the Black Sea, and so uh, Kyrgyzstan controls the water supplies, the transport routes into Crimea. Um, it, it's also the first significant city the Russians were able to take control of. So there's psychological, geographic and military reasons. The Ukrainians are going to fight very hard to get back into Kyrgyzstan. Uh
2: Evidently, uh, they're making progress. They're blowing up the bridges to isolate the army and in come the barges <laughs> to make their uh, what would seem to be a water bridge. Have you heard anything about that type of fighting?
7: Yes, and uh, it's the war is is being fought in in many dimensions air, land, sea, but we're not focused enough on the rivers and Here the Ukrainians have done very, very well, both as you say, kind of controlling the infrastructure, destroying where need be, uh, protecting where need be, controlling access across those rivers and if you look at a map of Southeastern Ukraine, it's lined with tributary rivers coming out of the Dnieper River. So, yes, the Ukrainians are doing quite well on the rivers.
2: Do you believe that they were, they were the, with the drones over the weekend in the Black Sea okay. also? Do you believe that they're responsible for some of the terror activity that seems to be taking place in Crimea, Crimea? let alone I what do. happened to, that, uh, the, to the daughter of the Putin ally?
7: Um, two different things. The daughter of the Putin ally, personally, I do not believe the Ukrainians' hands are on that one. It would be such a provocative move okay. going inside the country and, and going but, after.
2: I guess the others you but, do, though.
7: <laughs> I do. No question about yeah. the others. And yeah. and I'm glad to see him, Brian.
2: Admiral, thanks so much. Always educational. Admiral James Stavridis.
8: The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.
1: He's so busy he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
9: Is there regret for not having it evenly distributed and for throttling the distribution of that story?
10: What do you mean evenly distributed?
9: I mean evenly in that it's not suppressed. It's not. Yeah, some... yeah,
10: yeah. I mean, it's it sucks.
9: Yeah, it sucks because it was true, and that is the back end. And I'll
2: play more when Howard Kurtz joins me of. Um, Mark Zuckerberg's interview with Joe Rogan. In the beginning, they're talking about his new Oculus, and they're talking about him being mixed martial arts like Joe Rogan is, and talked about surfing. And then in the middle of it, they start segueing to the New York Post story and the Hunter Biden laptop, and how the FBI came to visit, and they said, "Look out, the Russians are going to do it to the election again." And almost the next day, in comes this laptop story. So they didn't ban it like Twitter. What they did is they suppressed it like maybe every other positive story, should they exist for Donald Trump? And he said, we had a third party analyze it. You had a third party. Number one, fire them because they didn't make any effort, it seems, to find out if any of the thousands of emails were authentic, let alone call Hunter Biden, your Facebook. You get Hunter Biden on the phone and say, listen, we're going to put this laptop online with your dad as the big guy if you don't tell me if this is you or not. But instead, they just suppressed it, and a whistleblower told us, From the FBI, that the FBI was told, whatever you do, do not open, do not investigate till after the election. They did, found out it was all true.
1: Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
10: Basically, the background here. Is the FBI? I think basically came to us. Uh, some some folks on our team. It was like, hey, um, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the, w- we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um, uh, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being. Um, Being determined whether it was false, um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it. You could still consume it.
9: Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story?
10: No, I I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it it basically fit the pattern.
9: So they were talking about the Hunter Biden New York Post story,
2: and he was saying how much better Facebook did it than Twitter because Twitter suppressed it and suspended accounts. He goes, we didn't do that. What we did is suppress the story. So on the uh, algorithm, no matter how many people wanted to read it, they would just make sure it was almost impossible to find. And I have not found anyone that said to me, I found this story on Facebook. So maybe next to impossible to find. I'm not sophisticated enough or learned enough in that area to understand how these algorithm works. But they quickly suppressed. It. Now, you combine what he told Joe Reagan, yet Rogan yesterday with the Zuckerbucks that went to key districts in key states in the election, well, disproportionately for Democrats. And you could argue that he had his hand on the scale as much as anyone. And it, again, a little bit trying to blame the FBI. When you first saw the headline of the story, I said, oh, let me listen to this. It's really the FBI. He came up to him generically Days later, the laptop story emerges, and he goes, oh, okay, let me do it. The other thing to keep in mind, let me suppress this story. This is what they were talking about. Did he call the FBI and say, this is what you mean? What do you want me to do? And he said, I, always, I outsource it to a third party. Who is that third party? They all should be fired. Howie, uh, Howie Kurtz joins us now, host of Media Buzz um, and – uh, he's on at 11 o'clock for the first time on Sunday, but he's repeated. Howard, welcome back. What is your take on the exchange that emerged from the three hour interview with Zuckerberg that we just played?
8: I'm flipping outraged about this. I mean, this is not subtle. And, you know, in a way, Twitter, which completely screwed up by banning the New York Post Hunter Biden laptop story, at least was upfront about it and later apologized for it. We did not know that Zuckerberg's outfit uh, was suppressing it. And, you know, listening to Mark kind of try to parse the words, well, you know, we we fiddled with the algorithm so that uh, by a significant magnitude we decreased. I mean, it was shadow banned. It was hard to find. And this only comes out now. I think the FBI looks bad. I think Facebook looks bad. And I think they both have a lot to account for. So... Like you know, and
2: whatever, but the Zuckerbucks and you know, um, I think it was Niles Ferguson who came in, who had a book out, uh, and he just said to me after the 2016 election when Trump shocked the world, he said, "Listen, you know, he he goes, I live in Silicon Valley, they they are humiliated because Trump used Facebook in particular in a genius way because the Hillary Clinton camp wanted nothing to do with it." There will be a ramp. They will not be used like this again. You watch, and I'll never forget the conversation because it was just a few weeks, even before Russia really got traction. And I thought, "What do you mean? How could they possibly get revenge? They paid to use Facebook experts. Let you know, will Democrats get better? That's how naive I was. But <laughs> then, when it not only did they go and suppress these stories that emerged. This, I want to find out who this third-party group is, Howie. Did they actually go and find out anyone on either end of any of these emails? I'm sure if Facebook's executives called, Hunter would have picked up the phone and say, listen, we're about to publish this laptop because we are trying to find out if these are authentic emails. Your dad's involved in this. He might be president. I need a rationale to not print it. Tell me if this is stolen. Tell me if this is your email. Anybody that were on these emails, anybody involved, but did that third party do any of that homework or did they just join the other 50 plus so-called Intel executives that said this is classic Russian disinformation?
8: This is one of the slippery things that Mark Zuckerberg does. You know, we're not really a media company. People post whatever they want here. And when it comes to deciding the truth or falsity of a story, you know, let's farm it out to some other group, which may also be left-leaning. Everybody knows Zuckerberg and Facebook are left-leaning operations. But he makes a great show of saying, no, 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 we want conservative voices as well. Uh, So to do it in this fashion – and by the way, you know, for people who haven't followed it intimately, you know, the Hunter Biden laptop story as reported by the New York Post in late 2020 was true, absolutely true. And it took a year and a half for the Washington Post and New York Times to get around to saying we've confirmed it. Uh, And so for him to say, well, we weren't really sure what to do, so we waited a few days – I mean, it just looks awful. And it looks like Facebook, as you said, Zuck having his finger on the scale. But what about the FBI? This is during the Trump administration. Chris Ray is in charge. I don't like the idea of them going to any social media company and saying, we just want to warn you that we have grave concerns about that. You know, they should be hands off. Let these organizations, which are giant media companies, even though they don't like to think of themselves that way, make their own decisions without government pressure. That's what it was, pressure from the FBI. Here's more from that interview. Cut 34.
9: Is there regret for not having it evenly distributed and for throttling the distribution of that story?
10: What do you mean evenly distributed?
9: I mean evenly in that it's not suppressed.
10: It's not. Yeah, some... yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it sucks.
9: Okay, all forgiven. It
2: sucks. Are you kidding? So, listen to this, Howie. And I know you know this, but just for our listeners, and we're, we're you know, I am for one done with the 2020 election. But when stories like this come up, this is a legitimate story. It's not any thought of something happened in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, in Arizona, or Georgia that would have uh, mysteriously threw the election. I'll just say this is a fact. In Georgia, Zuckerbucks, uh, 45 million in Georgia. Seventy five percent of those grants went to counties shifted. They shifted to the left. Forty five million of it went to uh, to left wing groups and PACs in Pennsylvania. Twenty five million went to Pennsylvania. Ninety percent of the grant dollars went to counties. Joe Biden won uh, in Ohio. Not effective. Obviously, Ohio received eight million. Seventy percent of the counties. Joe Biden won. Ten million went to Wisconsin. Ten million in Zuckerbucks, Eight point five million was spent in only five Democratic cities. And we know that Wisconsin was won by Trump the last time around. And in Michigan, that Trump won in 2016, 15 million Zuckerbucks with 7 million going to the city of Detroit, a Democratic stronghold in a swing district to maximize that. So he did put he put Zuckerbucks in and he put his hand on the scale. I'm not saying it's illegal, but it's noteworthy. Would you say
8: Noteworthy indeed. And I would also say that, look, even if Facebook had allowed it to be shared, the Hunter Biden story, I mean, it would have been a controversy. It would have added to the coverage, which was kind of minimal. I don't think it would have swung the election. But it's the principles at stake. And for him to ask, be asked, do you regret it? You think he would at least mount some kind of manly apology. And instead, it sucks. Well, it does suck, Brian.
2: It does. And, and you know what? You know who I want to see say something about this? Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. I mean, they're mm-hmm. both conservative Republicans. I know mm-hmm. them. And I, you, you and I, I think we over you overlap with Liz Cheney a little bit at Fox. I'm not sure I did. And she's as smart and conservative as anyone you'll meet. I thought she'd actually be running for president eventually uh, before all this happened. I think she voted with Donald Trump most of the time before all hell broke loose. And we know it. Right. no reason to go through it now. But I'm going to add something else. Nate Silver uh, wrote this story. He said liberal elites pressured Pfizer to delay the announcement of the vaccine till after the election. So it says – he goes on to say um, <laughs> that um, it would have been listed as a political when he said uh, to the New York Post – the liberal public health elites pressured Pfizer to delay fast-track approval of the COVID-19 vaccine until after the 2020 election, denying President Trump a pivotal win before heading to the polls. The number-crunching data journalists reacted to the article by Politico that cited a House report that claimed the Trump administration sought to expedite approvals for both vaccines and unproven treatments. Silver called for a more scrutiny on whether Pfizer bowed to the pressure from liberal public officials. Now, I don't really know Nate Silver, but I don't know anyone who thinks he's a conservative. So for him to write that, yeah, that is a legitimate guy. story. If, can you imagine a week before a vaccine is found through Operation Warp Speed, led by Jared Kushner, to move forward with this vaccine in record pace? I just ask you, should that have been involved in the election? And if somebody was holding that up because they didn't want somebody to win,
8: I think that is definitely worthy of a conversation. Look, that would have been explosive news. Now, I don't know Pfizer's side of it, but, you know, given that the pandemic was the dominant issue in 2020, if those vaccines had – if if that breakthrough had been able to be announced before the election, that might actually have swung the needle, you know, in those few states where – Joe Biden was able to pull out the Electoral College victory. Um, But at the same and at the same time, Trump, for all the mistakes that he made, and I think he made a lot on handling COVID, deserves credit for the fact that we have these vaccines today.
2: And he you know, he evidently tells people why do people boo when I bring up the vaccine? Because he's so proud of it. And when he goes in front of the Lives Events, you know what it is, in my humble opinion, it's the mandate. Because when you tell the American people this is what you're getting, you're fired or you can't go to school or you better transfer schools or you're a horrible person, you better not go to a restaurant, you can't play tennis at the U.S. Open, that's when the American people go, uh, that just goes against the grain, and then you look at who's telling you to do that, someone you didn't vote for, you forget about who brought it forward. So I think it would have been totally reverse. If Trump run re-election, I think there were a whole bunch of Democrats that said, I'm not going to take, just like Kamala Harris said when she was a candidate, I'm not going to take any vaccine from Donald Trump. I think it would have been an opposite story. Uh, it might be an interesting study. So today, before noon, we're here. We might get this affidavit uh, from the judge and find out what led to the raid on Mar-a-Lago. What do you sense? How big a story will this be when this affidavit comes
8: out? Oh, it'll get nonstop coverage, but I don't think we're going to find out much because the judge said he's not going to release parts of the affidavit that had, that would affect the uh Roadmap of the investigation or confidential sources and so forth. So of of the small slice that he will, and I give him credit for putting it out, and some of that will be redacted, I think will be jumping at phrases and so forth. Basically, I don't think it's going to tell us very much. I'd love to see the whole thing. I understand the concern about jeopardizing the investigation. Meanwhile, the Justice Department leaking uh, its butt off uh, to The New York Times uh, about an ongoing criminal investigation, which you're not supposed to do. Most of the media treating that as a bombshell, but uh, it's, an, it's outrageous uh, that Merrick-Carlin's Justice Department, feeling it can't discuss this publicly, is doing it by whispering to reporters.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing the detail that came out in both those outlets. It reminds me yes. of so much of the Russia investigation. Uh, well, yeah, we can't do it. It's too dangerous. But let me tell the New York Times and Maggie Haberman uh, all the details, and we'll just stay. We'll just lay low. So it's, uh, it's uh, deja vu all over again. So, Howie, who benefits with this story front and center?
8: The whole uh, Mar-a-Lago story? Yep. Um, you know, I think there's been such a backlash against the search uh, that it, politically it has benefited Donald Trump. That's the reason I think justice felt like it had to get its side out through leaks, which again, this, it's a leaky town here in Washington, but in an ongoing criminal investigation, you're not supposed to say anything to protect the rights of a potential defendant. And by the way, I'm not Convinced that Donald Trump is going to be charged with anything. However, I do think as more and more has come out about uh, multiple attempts by the National Archives to get Donald Trump to give back some of these highly classified documents and how this took a long time, that our picture has changed. And so for a lot of people, you know, those who at least have followed this. Um, It doesn't seem uh, the search warrant seems more like an attempt to get back highly sensitive documents rather than just to embarrass the former president.
2: Right. And we don't even know if there's going to be any type of charges or they just want their stuff back.
8: (laughs) You know, I I'm convinced there will not be a charge related to the classification of documents. He's just not going to charge a former president of the United States with that, unless it's something related to the Capitol riot on January 6th or related to, you know, some nefarious thing that Trump did. With you know, nuclear documents, right. um, I don't think Merrick Garland can can bring that prosecution. But, you know, like all of us, we don't know exactly what he has. And I think he's going to take his time. So this is going to be hanging over our whole system for a long time to come.
2: Media Buzz host Howie uh, Kurtz with us now. So we know there's a lot of there's a big change over at uh, at CNN. And it's amazing that media seems to be trying to keep uh, a certain people's jobs intact one of which might be Don Lemon. The headline of mediaite, and I'm looking at this. Say, wow, what happened here? Don Lemon grills Jean Pierre on Mar-a-Lago raid. Who is we? Who knew about it and the White House? So, I, so you play it down. Listen to the actual. Uh, you heard the headline. Now listen to the question. Cut twenty-nine.
1: Again, we gave them. Uh, uh, we gave them. We deferred that to the uh, National Archives. Who is Archivist. we? Who knew
3: about it at the White House?
1: I'm just telling you the the our the White House. I'm not I, I don't have specific names or specific. The White House deferred that uh, to the National Archives. It's, it's in the letter. It's very clear in the letter. People can uh, it's out there. You guys have shown the letter they could. folks can take a look again when it comes
2: to the investigation. Uh, that is it. And she just explains it. That's not grilling. I mean, it seems like they're making sure that Don Lemon isn't next. What's your reaction to Brian Stelter losing his job?
8: Well, I haven't talked about that other than to say that, you know, I wish everybody well. You know, that is my old show. And we are now, Media Buzz, Sunday mornings, 11 Eastern, the only media Nell show on national television. And I take that responsibility seriously, and I always try to be fair. And as you know, when you try to be fair, you get it from both sides. Why aren't you on the team? Uh, but there's an audience for fairness, I believe, and that's the main message I have uh, to what happened at CNN. As for Don Lemon, uh, look, at least he tried. He asked the question. Uh, You know, Chris Licht is trying – the new president of CNN is trying to return it to its roots, a more neutral news-based service as opposed to, you know, how we'll have all those eight-to-one panels trashing Donald Trump and Fox. I wish him luck with that. It's hard to undo the damage to CNN's reputation that took place over the last six years when it did become anti-Trump, anti-Fox, pro-Democrat. And suddenly you say, "Okay, never mind. We're going to go back to our roots. It will take a lot of rebuilding to do that.
2: Yeah, I, I don't like when anyone loses their job, uh, so I don't care. Even if uh, they say horrible things about us, it, I, I just don't feel comfortable because it's uh, it's careers and it's families. I'm with you. Howie Kurtz, we're going to watch you at 11. Thanks so much. Sundays. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, listen, when we come back, I'll take some calls and finish up this hour. I barely touched how much I still have to get into, so don't move. Brian Kilmeade
1: From his mouth to to your ears, ears. it's Brian Kilmeade.
4: Dr. Fauci's retiring. What should he do next? Settle down in Florida or something. I don't think Dr. Fauci's welcome in Florida. Someone needs to grab that little elf and chuck him across the (laughs)
9: corner. What is he going to write a book, make a movie? What the f*** do all these people do?
4: I hope he goes to jail personally. He could star in Grey's Anatomy. He does love TV and he's on more than Brian Kilmeade.
2: Well, that hurt. That's so funny. Was that actually on the show, or did you guys edit that?
6: No, no, that was actually on. Johnny gave you that little dig from Jesse Waters' primetime last night.
2: Because, you know, the only person more hostile than Gutfeld to me is Eric. Eric always takes shots at me using my own words. It's Uh, so
6: easy to do, though.
2: (laughs) So, a couple of things. I forgot. We always talk about Fauci missing the mask, right? Getting, getting everything wrong with John He said what he said. He said, you know, I don't think a mask gives you a false sense of security. It doesn't really protect you. It protects uh, somebody else. Okay. And then he's like, you got to wear a mask. Then you got to wear two masks. And then Dr. Burks, I think you should wear goggles. All right. But do you remember that he said, I don't predict that this virus is going to be much of a problem here? I mean, come on. And praises the WHO? And it's not, and it didn't, of course, didn't come from a lab. This came from natural occurrence. So this is, these are inexcusable. Anybody else would be the laughing stock. It would almost be like, remember Brownie? uh, Way to go, Brownie, after Katrina, when he said everything was under control? He is Katrina. He is a, the pandemic's Katrina. I don't know if that made sense, but you know what I mean.
1: From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for being here. Everybody, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one we are coming to you from midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine, where they continue to fight and grind on, and we're still thinking about the explosion at Abbey Gate, where Afghanistan, of course, we lost 13 of our guys, many more wounded, and hundreds of Afghans lost their lives, an inevitable, much warned about, and now we know specifically, possibly, according to the CIA, who actually did it. Uh, and how it could have been prevented. It just makes everything so much worse. Uh, Andrew McCarthy at the bottom of the hour to make sense of the redacted affidavit that could be released sometime within this hour. So we have a lot to discuss today. So let's get to before we get to Miranda Devine of the New York Post, uh, let's get to the big three.
1: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. It's really hard to accept this outcome, frankly, even a year later after haven't indulged it for all of this time. And certainly today we, we honor our troops, the 13 troops that were killed there, protecting the Afghan people.
2: Uh, that is General Jack Keene with me on Fox and Friends. American security, a year after Abbey Gate's suicide bombing, we now know how easily this could have been prevented. The bomber ID days before, we're not allowed to get him. We were not allowed to kill him then. And now we're not allowed to talk about him now. That is not acceptable. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin is putting together a massive recruitment push. He's losing too many people.
5: Number two.
4: It would be highly unusual to have an affidavit become public in the middle of an investigation. This never becomes an issue at the end of an investigation because all the stuff gets turned over in discovery.
2: Redactions are done and the release may be upon us as the judge in the Trump case, our raid case is poised to release the affidavit, which may or may not. Let us know why the DOJ would raid the compound of DJT.
6: Number one, We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They embrace, embrace political violence.
2: Yeah, all in for 2022 as Joe has that midterm angry glow and really disturbing revelations about 2020, which could have all Republicans crying foul, even Liz Cheney. Uh, let's bring in uh, one of our old, great old time guests, fantastic investigative reporter and columnist, Miranda Devine, New York Post, Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech, and the dirty secrets that President tried to hide. And now they're coming out, but they've been delayed. Miranda, I'll, I, I'm going to put Hunter on hold for a second and talk about the midterms if we could. You wrote a column saying warning signs are there for the GOP abound. And the uh, President of the United States thinks he's got a term that will turn off a lot of would-be Republican voters, and that's MAGA. Is that a turn-off to Republican voters?
0: Not at all. Uh, I mean, I I think it might be a turn-off to the Liz Cheney fans, all three of them, but uh, no. And it's really despicable, I think, that uh, the president is dividing the country in the way he is and really using um, depraved kind of descriptors for half the citizens of this country. I mean, 75 million people voted for Donald Trump, and uh, he's calling them quasi-fascists. It's outrageous.
5: It is. Uh,
2: and by the way, you talk about a canary in the coal mine. You believe that the Republican, the defeat of Mark Malinaro in the 19th Congressional District in New York is so much more than a midterm, excuse me, a special election loss. Why do you think that is?
0: Well, Look, it's indicative of the fact that uh, Republicans are not so the Republican leadership is not understanding this moment in America. It's not just business as usual, as Mitch McConnell seems to think. Uh, it's it, this is an existential fight. Uh, who wins the midterms? Who wins 2024? Will decide the future of this country, and will the only um, it's the only chance to sort of rest it back from the accelerated uh, sort of revolution that. Joe Biden, of all people, has ushered in. And so here we have in, in this district in, uh, you know, upstate New York, um, we had a pretty good candidate. And it, the problem was that rural and working class and non-college-educated white voters, basically the Trump base, stayed home. And on the other side, you've got Democratic women Um, They don't have much to vote for when it comes to Joe Biden and his policies, but um, they're newly energized by abortion, even though it's completely irrelevant to New York, even though Molinaro is pro-choice. It doesn't matter. This has become a sort of one of those fake rallying cries that the Democrats specialize in. And so I think, you know, I don't think abortion is the big uh, victory that the Democrats think it is. Um, But it really requires the Republicans to grab the narrative and fight back. And they don't seem to be doing that. I mean, apart from the the MAGA people, everybody else, um, and, you know, someone like Molinaro, he kind of has to do what head office says, or he doesn't get advertising dollars, he doesn't get any resources. So uh, I think it's a wake-up call for the Republican leadership and for Mitch McConnell to stand up and say, oh, we have a problem with the quality of the candidates. Less than three months before the election, he's decrying his own Republican candidates for the Senate. That's just so defeatist and so kind of treacherous.
2: Here's what President Biden said. His his huge weakness is Afghanistan. His huge weakness is inflation. His huge weakness is his insistence on his energy policy, which is pivoting away from fossil fuels and the price of gas, which is within his grasp But this guy loves to deflect like nobody I've never ever seen in my life. Listen to what he said. Cut nine.
6: We've done all this, but then our critics say inflation. You mean the global inflation caused by the worldwide pandemic and Putin's war in Ukraine? We're making progress.
2: Really?
0: Uh, That's his that's his excuse. Well, it's been his excuse all the time. You have to understand with Joe Biden, um, and obviously you do, but maybe there are still Biden voters who don't understand that he is an inveterate liar. I mean, it's a terrible thing to say about a president, but that is his personality. That's what he's been for his entire, at least, adult life. He tells tall tales. He spins fantasies. In some senses, I think even before his current cognitive difficulties, he had a problem differentiating between truth and fiction. I mean, just just on Wednesday, he talked about having gone to a little Ivy. He didn't go to any kind of Ivy League college, but it's all about self-aggrandizing and, and creating this mythology. He has a giant chip on his shoulder about whatever, you know, he's like an Ivy League education, whatever it is, he's like a high, you know, high IQ. Um, but he is now the president and you would think that he would rise to the occasion. And I think all of us, his inauguration speech was so um, divisive and destructive. He He actually called out half of the population, the, the Trump voters, uh, as domestic terrorists and white supremacists. It was laying the ground for what was to come. But I, and I think a lot of other people, everybody pretty much, gave him the benefit of doubt because he is the president of the United States. So you want the country to do well. But all he has done since then is divide to conquer. And uh, I think he's compass enough to know what he's doing. I think it's it's um, part of his makeup to do that, to be nasty and petty and to hate his opponents while giving um, this sort of veneer, this appearance that he is a bipartisan, moderate guy who reaches across the aisle. He only does when his opponents lie down and do what he wants. If, if, if they are uh, actually damaging the Democratic Party uh, like Donald Trump did, then he goes into hate mode. So uh, I think the Republicans just need to fight fire with
2: fire. I just wish he would have that same hate towards Iran, that same hate towards China, that same hate towards Russia, but he knuckles under and never addresses the issues that affect our country the most. And he also is scared to death of Joe Manchin, if you ask me. Uh, Real quick, uh, I thought about you, obviously, because... Uh, Mark Zuckerberg talked about the suppression of the laptop story that you wrote a book about and covered every day in a newspaper, the New York Post, that had their Twitter handle suspended because they published disinformation, which you all know was 100 percent correct. Listen to Zuckerberg with Joe Rogan yesterday. Cut 33.
10: Basically, the background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, uh, some some folks on our team. It was like, hey – just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the, we, we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of, of, um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being, um, being determined whether it was false. Um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it. You could still consume it.
9: Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story?
10: I, I, no, I, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was it basically fit the pattern.
2: And he said a third party comes out and looks at it and they decided they're not going to suspend it, but they'll suppress it. So what is your take on him talking like that? Hour two into Joe Rogan's three hour podcast.
0: I think he's lying uh, because basically Facebook was the first to censor the laptop story. On the very morning that we published at 11 a.m., Andy Stone, who's Facebook's communications manager and used to work for Barbara Boxer, used to work for the John Kerry for President campaign, used to work at a Democratic super PAC, uh, he issued a statement on Twitter, funnily enough, basically saying... That, um, that that they are going to reduce the distribution of the story on their platform immediately, pending third-party fact-checking. Now, we still haven't heard what the result of that fact-checking was until Zuckerberg just slips it out, but they knew within five or seven days. They did incredible damage. Facebook coming out and doing that then gave the green light to Twitter and to The New York Times and everybody else to quash the story. And, you know, it's interesting he's talking about the FBI. Um, I think it, you, you can you can tell that he's being a little dodgy when he's asked, was it specifically about this story, the Hunter Biden story that the FBI was warning you? He goes, oh, I don't think so. Well, you, it either was or it wasn't. You know, you, you don't forget something like that. So um, the FBI, we know now this is another point of light that shows us how involved the FBI was in interfering in the 2020 election. We have um, already, Chuck Grasley has told us from FBI whistleblowers that uh, Brian Orton, an FBI analyst, and Tim T. who was an FBI agent, had, had stepped in and made sure that nobody was investigating the laptop. This was in um, October of 2020. We also know from Ron Johnson that in... August of 2020, when he and Chuck Grassley were doing this fantastic work on um, the first path of the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden corruption uh, exposure, um, that was their report into Hunter and uh, Burisma, the Ukrainian company that was paying him, you know, four million dollars. Um, they they got a fake. Uh, they were ambushed actually by the FBI for. debriefing that they never asked for. It was sort of a defensive briefing against Russian disinformation. And a few minutes into the meeting, Ron Johnson smelled a rat. And he knew that this had absolutely nothing to do with their investigation. This was a ruse to try and smear him and Grassley in their investigation. And so he he told the FBI agents this. He said, this is irrelevant. And if I see this in the media, I know what the game is. And sure enough, Next minute, it's in the New York Times. And uh, this came hot on the heels of Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Adam Schiff, all getting up in arms about the Grasley-Johnson investigation because they knew that they were coming very close to the truth. And um, the FBI has had dirty hands ever since. I mean, they've had dirty hands since the Russia collusion uh, hoax. They have... There's an anti-Trump cabal inside the Washington field office, which is still doing immense damage. Some of those people are still there, and they're still involved in the Mar-a-Lago raid.
9: Here's more. Cut 34. Is there regret for not having it evenly distributed and for throttling the distribution of that story?
10: What do you mean evenly distributed
9: i mean uh, evenly in that it's not suppressed it's not yeah some... yeah
10: yeah i mean it's it sucks,
9: yeah, it sucks, okay, <laughs> so the right guy too won bad. it sucks too
0: bad yeah. Yeah. yeah, they got what they wanted. I mean, this is the same Zuckerberg that was giving millions of dollars to uh, Democrats to go and um, ballot harvest, effectively. Um, he calls it, you know, election security or whatever whatever euphemism they used for it. Um, no, it sucks. Yeah, it sure does. We know from polls taken by the Media Research Centre straight after the election that um There was something like one in six Biden voters would have changed their vote if um, they had known about this story. And, you know, in an election that was won by, I think, 45,000 votes in a handful of battleground states, that would have made a material difference. So Facebook, uh, Twitter, the FBI interfered in the election and they changed the course of history and for mark zuckerberg to sit there uh, with joe rogan and joe rogan to kind of you know happily accept what he's saying with very little pushback is kind of sickening
5: I
2: hear you uh, 45 million in georgia zuckerbucks uh 75% one to uh, to one to counties shifted to the left 25 million in pennsylvania one to counties shifted to joe biden 90% of those went to joe biden one counties Eight million in Ohio didn't work. Ten million in Wisconsin did work. Fifteen million of Zuckerbucks. Um, seven million went to the city of Detroit to maximize that vote. So Zucker put his hand on the scale, and he's the reason. He's a, almost probably the sole reason, or the chief reason, that Joe Biden's president. Thanks yeah. so much, Miranda Devine. You're the only person not duped. I think fully is you. You were there the whole time. I appreciate Thank you it. it. Laptop from hell. Pick it up. That's the truth. Back with you in a moment.
1: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: And thanks to our historic deficit reduction, we can afford to cancel $10,000 in student debt and $20,000 if you're on a Pell Grant for tens of millions of Americans making under $125. This is a game changer.
2: Really? Why does he yell the whole time? All the time. But to me, I watched yesterday... And, you know, he's been off for about a month. Think of COVID, reoccurrence of COVID, press conference, leaves, signs something, leaves, goes back to Delaware, goes to live off, sponge off somebody in South Carolina, which I never understand. You're president of the United States, even when Barack Obama did it, I went, what are you doing? I mean, you go and stay with people for free. Just bizarre. So uh, now he's finally back. So he's fired up. There's no way he thinks he's not running. He thinks he's running again. And now they say that he's got 44% approval rating. Look. He does have things that he accomplished, but my my feeling all along is he accomplished it for him and for his party. I ask you, what has he done for the country? What's he done for crime? What's he done for the border? Uh, What's he done for inflation? What's he done for gas prices? On every level, he is hurt. What he's done is stuff for climate change, got some bipartisan things and guns done, and passed together a a bill— that nobody needs in a rescue package to set the groundwork for the worst inflation in 40 years. I think that's what the American people are going to vote on, but we'll see. Uh, Brian Cho rages on when we find out about the redactions. Will the report be released? Andrew McCarthy next.
5: A
1: radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
5: The Justice Department is notorious for over-redactions and over-classifications uh, to serve tactical purposes. I've been in cases uh, where both of those problems have appeared, where judges have agreed uh, that the Justice Department has over-redacted material. Uh, the the concern I have is that the, gov- the judge does not appear to have pushed back. Uh, he's suggesting that the government got it just right. He doesn't have... Uh, any area where he's saying, look, I still think you need to explore this section or that section. Uh, that,
2: uh, that of course, is a guy we've heard a lot from lately, and he is, uh, Jonathan Turley's with us, but another guy that we hear from just as often is Andy McCarthy. Uh, Andy joins us right now. Andy, at any moment, maybe during this interview, we're going to get the uh, release of a of a heavily redacted document. We assume that will hopefully explain why they thought it was necessary to raid Mar-a-Lago two two or three weeks ago. What do you think we're going to receive?
4: Well, we won't get that, Brian. I mean, they're not. We already know that they're going to basically redact out their explanation of what their probable cause was, and you're not going to be told. More than likely, you know, why they decided an affidavit, uh, why they decided a search warrant was necessary. I think the only kind of stuff we're actually going to see in the affidavit is things like, you know, they've had this dispute over um, whether there should be a special master to help the, uh, you know, so the court can supervise the sifting through of Trump's property. So, you know, when they went to get the warrant, they would have had to tell the magistrate, here's what we're going to do if we find any privileged documents, and they have a process for that. And I imagine that it wouldn't harm the investigation to put stuff like that out. So then the court can say, see, we made them, you know, reveal some stuff, and the government can reveal some stuff without telling us the things we actually want to know. Um, But I don't think you're going to get that out of the redactions. I do think we already have a pretty good idea what must be in there.
2: Well, I mean, we hear about this uh, top secret documents, a different classification of documents, that stuff that probably shouldn't have left and been taken. But the question is, do they just want their stuff back or do they want to prosecute?
4: I, I suspect they just want their stuff back, Brian. I thought the most intriguing thing about the judge's order is that one of the things the Justice Department argued in why they should be able to withhold this information is the policy against... Uh, putting out investigative information about uncharged persons. Now, as I said yesterday, it might be that they're just saying that because that's what the Justice Department always says, but it also might be that they haven't decided that Trump should be charged for this yet, and what they really wanted more than anything else was to get the government records back, and especially to get the top secret classified information back. I, I think that If you're going to have the historic first ever prosecution of a former American president, it's not going to be over a records retention crime. And I'm speculating because I don't know what's in these classified documents. And I don't, you know, they also say there's some evidence of obstruction of justice. I don't know what that's, you know, we haven't gotten that revealed. I don't know if that's serious enough that they would prosecute him over it. But I think unless unless you get a January 6th crime against Trump, I don't think the Justice Department wants to prosecute him over this. It's just a hunch on my part. And we're going,
2: we and we have to hunch and speculate, so it's okay until this comes out. But do you believe that they looked at this and said, yeah, he's holding on to documents. It's kind of aggravating me. We're going back and forth, and I need some more information on January 6th. So if I go over the, go into there under the guise that they took confidential information, that if I happen to sift through it, like when I f- sift through it and got his passport, Uh, I might be able to find something that's relevant to January 6th and expand this investigation. Do you think that there could be be that type of coordination?
4: Yeah, I I was convinced that that was the main reason at the beginning of all this, because I couldn't imagine over a records retention thing. Remember when let's put classified information on the side when congress enacted the presidential records act in the 70s it didn't have criminal law enforcement provisions in it so it was never thought that you would use a you know criminal methods like a search warrant or grand jury subpoenas to to get this kind of information the classified information especially if it's top top secret stuff obviously changes that calculation i thought at the beginning What they really wanted was if they had a legitimate reason to get in, especially since temporarily they did this search in the middle of all this other stuff that they're doing in the January 6th investigation, that you couldn't disconnect the two. And it's obviously true that it's a doctrine of law that if you're lawfully conducting a search and you happen to stumble upon evidence of another crime, you're allowed to take it. The agents are not required to you know, blind themselves to that. But I now think that with everything we know about the timeline, it's clear that one of the things that drove this is the is the classified information which they were concerned about. And since we now know that they issued them, in addition to having meetings and like a million different communications back and forth, they also issued them two grand jury subpoenas and they got a, a letter from the lawyers in June Saying that they had uh, given the government back anything that was marked classified. Um, And obviously, they hadn't given them everything back. And something, uh, some interview or other evidence that the FBI uh, collected in July probably. Right. Um, Convince them that there was still stuff in there and they may have just drawn the conclusion, you know, look, we've tried meetings, we've tried grand jury subpoenas, we've tried everything. We're never going to get this stuff back unless we just go in and take it.
2: And so do you think that they do you really think there's legitimacy to people who thought I'm surprised about the blowback?
4: Oh, no, no. I think that uh, as, as I think you and I talked about this before, I thought that when Garland spoke, you know, that's a departure from, The Justice Department's normal procedure, you know, usually you don't the the government doesn't speak unless they're going to file charges. Uh, And the attorney general broke that and decided to speak. But when he spoke, he didn't respond to anything President Trump was saying publicly, and he didn't give a good explanation for why do a search warrant. And if they had any idea that doing a search warrant on the home of a former president was not going to be a huge thing, then I think they're insane. I can't believe they would think that that this wouldn't be very, very controversial, even, Brian, if there was a good reason to do it. What what you and I, I think, have been talking about for a couple of weeks now is – Tell us the reason. You know, yeah. we're not. No one is saying that, uh, you know, there couldn't conceivably be a good reason for doing this. But this is a very controversial thing to do. So I think they should give the public a, an explanation of why they did it.
2: All right, so, so I'm sure you read this. Now it turns out that the FBI or the Department of Justice called the Trump people and said, do me a favor. That Kim Jong-un letter, why don't you just put it into FedEx and let me know the tracking number? Excuse me? The Kim Jong-un letter about one of our notorious enemies, the interaction, personal interaction that the president coveted, I could just put it into a FedEx pouch and mail it in? I thought this top-secret document had to be retrieved. You can't send an FBI agent to pick
4: it up? Well, they did send people down there, but if they actually told them that... Oh, it's you true. Know, look, I suppose if I'm if I'm Merrick Garland, um, and I'm, I hope that wasn't his idea, but whosever idea it is, I assume what they were saying is, you know, look... How much worse could it be if it's on Trump's coffee table down in Mar-a-Lago? How much worse could it be putting it in a FedEx? But no, that's not the way you're supposed to handle that.
2: Yeah, here's the story. It says uh, at one point during the year-long talks, the National Archives was reportedly willing to let Trump send documents such as the letters from Kim Jong-un back to Washington via FedEx, said, please let me know before you mail it, and then pass along the tracking number. Really? Either that or I'll just raid your house and go through your wife's stuff and then blow open your safe. I mean, you can't you can't have two conversations like this.
4: Let me let me prove to you that I've taken the uh, New York Times euphemism class less than optimal.
2: (laughs) 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 Absolutely. So let me ask you (laughs) yesterday. uh, You you uh, breathe a sigh of relief because everybody knows that you're in debt to all your universities that you attended, including a lot of the institutes. So you got $10,000 forgiven because you make less than 125,000. But having said that, the president decides to forgive these student loans. Right. We know about the inequities. We know about the outrage. But is it legal? And who is who is has standings to sue?
4: Yeah, it's totally not legal. Uh, And Brian, this is disappointing because like you're you're audience thinks that you pay me more than $125,000. <laughs> right? No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> um you keep talking about these great legal fees. I'm I'm still waiting here. They're right? coming by my FedEx. I just need an invoice. FedEx. Um yes. Yeah. <laughs> just I'll give you the tracking number. Um but it's totally illegal. Um but I think they're banking on on two things. Number one, there is a standing problem like who brings a suit Um, because you have to show you're personally concretely damaged by this. If you're just arguing it as a policy matter that it's illegal, um, that's that's usually not good enough in court. You have to show that you were personally damaged by it. So that's going to be a problem to challenge it in court. And I think what Biden's banking on is that. Even if the uh, Republicans take over both the Senate and the House and they were able to pass a resolution under the Congressional Review Act that would allow them to get rid of this rule, Biden would veto that and the uh, the Democrats would have enough votes in the Senate to prevent an override. They'd, both chambers, they'd prevent an override of uh, Biden's veto. And then if the Republicans win the presidency in 2024 and hold both chambers, the window for the Congressional Review Act would be over by 2024. So you would—the ha- only way you'd be able to knock it out would be by regular legislation, and the Democrats could probably block that in the Senate. So it's totally illegal, but I think they've—they've they've calculated that they can—that they may be able to fend off challenges in the courts and that they can keep it tamped down legislatively.
2: Yeah. Here's Jackie Heinrich, and Jackie Heinrich brought. Uh, something like this, up to her saying that you did this because it was an emergency, right? You said this, but at the same time, you've said other times the pandemic's done, we don't need it, for example, at the border. Listen.
5: The HEROES Act hinges on student debt cancellation being tied to the pandemic and that being a national emergency. But the administration argued in court that the pandemic is over at the southern Mm -hmm. border. Uh, to lift Title 42. It's so over that the government's gonna stop buying vaccines in the fall and Mm -hmm. shift to the private sector. So how is this a national emergency? Mm -hmm. Has COVID a national emergency when it comes to student debt? So
1: it's a a very good question, and I'm glad you asked it. Um, Look, we use the HEROES Act uh, because there are going to be be some people, when we lift the pause, that's still going to suffer. They're still going to have a little bit of a hard time.
2: Does that, that make you feel better?
4: A little bit of a, we go from an emergency to, uh, to what? I got a little scrapey on my knee. Right. You know, yeah, it, I mean, need 10, ten to 20,000. Emer- is it an emergency or a little bit of harm? I, You know, I, I just – it's mind-boggling to listen to them.
2: You know, it's almost as if they put the press secretary – in that quiet room they used to do with, the newlywed, uh, with that newlywed game. They, they put her into a quiet, airtight room, and they put her out there. She has no idea about anything, doesn't anticipate any yeah. questions. That binder, I think, is full of empty pages. I've never seen someone overwhelmed and, uh, and underanswer everything. As soon as I see her sound bites on the sheet, I'm thinking to myself, how could I actually use these?
4: Yeah, you know, the, thing, the difference is, though, remember, Amy Coney Barrett had that pad that was also empty. But she that's because she knew all the answers. She <laughs> doesn't know any of the answers. <laughs> so, right. I, you know, it's very frustrating to listen to them.
2: All right, Andy, uh, do you have any sense of when, when these redacted documents might be released?
4: It might be as we're speaking, Brian. I don't know. I haven't. Uh, uh, talking to you was so important to me that I have my undivided attention. So I turned off my computer and everything because I thought you might ask me hard questions.
2: Allison, next time Andy's in a very sarcastic mood, can we just book Charlie? <laughs> I mean, is it possible? <laughs> I mean, this is unbelievable. I just want to answer. I get sarcasm back. Why do I pay you all this money?
4: <laughs> with the tracking number. I forgot to give you
2: the yeah. track. <laughs> Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. one 866 i will be back. and take your phone calls and get your take. You know, we really haven't uh, discussed in detail what's going on with Afghanistan, and I haven't really played the Zuckerberg this, uh, this hour much. So we'll get to that. Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Biden if he gets a second term it's actually very exciting he'll
4: be the first president in his 80s and the first president to be assassinated by a slick bathtub so that. cool. Mike Pence, Mike Pence is so boring and white CBS just picked him up for three more seasons. <laughs> Listen, I know we're having fun right now, but on a serious note, I do want to say uh, Kamala Harris is still missing. And if you have any information on
8: her whereabouts,
6: please contact her. <laughs> we don't, but thank
2: So who is Nikki Glaser?
6: She's a comedian.
2: And she so was- she was filling in for Jimmy Kimmel. He has substitute hosts all week, all year, all, all summer. summer, taking it off in the Hamptons, hanging out. So, you, by the way, that's true. Nobody even the vice president's gone in Hawaii. They're signing legislation, you know, with this Joe Manchin gives in. Glow, all this. Nowhere. It's in
11: Hawaii. She's hanging out with
2: She Obama. was with President Obama for a while, right?
6: Yeah. But, I mean, on on the flip side, too, again, late night going after the administration.
2: Oh, that's a good point.
6: I mean, there was a Mike Pence jokes in there. Two out of three. But that's what you need. You need
2: both sides. Uh, and, you know, we played James Corden earlier this week. In fact, do you still have that, Eric? Because I think that is so underappreciated. We played it here. I brought it up to Fox and Friends. They thought it was great. Nobody else picked it up. Because So after the president goes out and signs this for loan forgiveness, he spoke for a while.
6: I always say, Joe, you're going to be a college man. And I say, Dad, but how, what, what does that matter? I mean, you can still get fired if you're a college man. And I remember going down after a baseball game. I went, went to a really good school up in Claymont, Delaware, on the Pennsylvania border. And I walked in, and I had my spikes, and be, because the reason I was going down, when your dad works in an automobile agency, the great advantage, you get a new car to go to the prom, or a you, good used car. You think I'm joking? I'm not joking. And so I went down to my 51 Plymouth uh, with uh, beach towels for seat covers. said, so I went to see, the guy's name was Charlie Delcher, who was a... Vice President of the Farmers Bank, which was a state-owned bank that did a lot of the financing of people wanting to purchase a car. So then went to Charlie and asked to borrow the money. He said he won't lend it to me.
11: By the by the end of that by the end of that story, students are like, Do you know what, forget it, we'll pay. We'll pay. <laughs> yeah.
2: And that that's it. that's unbelievable to me. And by the way, a lot of this stuff turns out not to be true. He says he went to this, you know, the college he went to. I was listening. I was watching online. Do you remember in the 19, you don't remember, but the 1980s, the reason why, you know, everyone thought he had a legitimate shot and Johnny Carson actually had in his monologue. This is Senator from Delaware, Joe Biden, who made up things that happened in his past, got caught cheating in college and then lifted parts of a famous speech in the UK and put it into his speech. And he came out and he's like, oh, so I'm a little mad at myself. I'm going to, you know, I, I have to resign. I'm not going to run again. Who would think that this guy would actually be president?
6: We're so much smarter today, aren't we? <laughs> I
2: know. He just wore us out. And there was nobody left except Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is the reason, him and James Clyburn are the two reasons why he's president. They didn't want Bernie Sanders and Clyburn anointed Joe Biden.
6: And he got to stay in his basement.
2: Yes, the pandemic kept him in his basement. Because he didn't have to campaign, which is Fetterman's doing right now. But the reason why he did it is because he had a stroke. Clearly has not recovered. Dr. Oz, take advantage.
1: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Welcome to one of the final hours of the week here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're with us all week long. We're going to be joined by one of the funniest guys in uh, in uh, I, I think it's standup, Jamie Lissau. You see him all over the channel uh, because he's on with uh, Gutfeld and with we the number one show in late night television. I have to tell you also, don't forget to watch One Nation this weekend at eight o'clock, repeated at eleven. We got a jam packed show from Senator Marco Rubio to Jared Kushner. All set. Jamie's going to be on, which is going to be great. And we're also going to uh, talk about what's happening with Thomas Jefferson and the University of Virginia. He created the university. He designed almost every building. And guess what? In the school newspaper, they want him out because he had slaves. Unbelievable. If you don't like Thomas Jefferson, then don't go to the University of Virginia. Don't go to the University of Virginia and try to take out Thomas Jefferson. Let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you
3: need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's really hard to accept this outcome, frankly, even a year later after having indulged it for all of this time. And certainly today we we honor our troops, the 13 troops that were killed there, protecting the Afghan people.
2: Absolutely. American security. A year since the Abbey Gate suicide bombing, we now know how easily this could have been prevented. The bomber ID days before, according to reports, were now allowed to get him. We were not allowed to get him. So he lived and 13 Americans died. Vladimir Putin, by the way, putting together a massive recruitment push. He's running out of
4: guys. Good
2: job, Ukraine.
4: Number two. It would be highly unusual to have an affidavit become public in the middle of an investigation. This never becomes an issue at the end of an investigation because all the stuff gets turned over in discovery.
2: Redactions are done and the release may be upon us in a matter of moments as the judge in the Trump case raid is poised to release the affidavit, which may or may not. Let us know why the DOJ would raid the compound of DJT.
6: Number one. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They embrace, embrace political violence. Are you
2: nuts? All in, uh, all in for 2022. Joe Biden doing something totally irresponsible as the midterm angry glow is upon him. And really disturbing revelations about 2020, which could have all Republicans crying foul, even Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, if they weren't too anti-Trump to understand it. Meanwhile, you could always get the podcast, com wherever you get podcasts if you can't listen live. But I know you are listening live right now. So Joe Biden was in campaign mode. And I, my, my feeling is this. If he is not running again... No one told him because he's acting like a candidate that wants to run again. He feels as though the Democrats have momentum because he passed that horrible uh, deficit reduction, excuse me, Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't reduce inflation. And because he got bipartisan legislation on things like guns and infrastructure. Now he feels and chips. Now he feels impervious. Look, I'm good. the chip thing was done. Infrastructure, I think, to a degree had to be done. But it's all about execution and there's no business people there. But this whole Inflation Reduction Act that you had to lie about in order to pass. Your title is mislabeled. It shows you have little faith I have in it. But according to reports, 44% approval rating. I hardly doubt it because the American people looking at the utility bill, looking at their gas bill. They're seeing unemployment at this percentage and seeing the country still on fire. And they're wondering, what is he talking about? What is he doing? He's been on vacation for almost a month. So here's President Biden yesterday Talking about well, talking very politically. Listen to what he was saying about Clarence Thomas. Cut eight.
6: As Clarence Thomas said in the opinion, he said that the right to privacy doesn't exist for the right to have use contraception, marriage equality, the whole right to privacy. We can't let that happen. You got it, kid. You can't let that happen. Not today. Not tomorrow, not ever.
2: Yeah, uh, we can't let that happen. Clarence Thomas did write in a dissenting opinion just about how he felt, but everybody knows it was a majority opinion. But they're talking about the Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs decision that that turns it over to the states. That's what he wants to run on. And what I think Republicans are doing effectively in purple states are saying, look, uh, I am pro-life, they're saying if they are, they're saying they're pro-life, but they're not pro-abortion ban. That's pretty much the way you handle it, and we'll see how much, uh, we'll see how much, I guess, ground he can cover. But what I was really struck by is the fact that Joe Biden's flat out talking about the Republicans as fascists. You expect that from pundits on MSNBC, but for now, for the president of the United States, who doesn't he understand that when you go after Donald Trump, well, that's fine, that's part of the course. But when you go against his supporters and call them fascists, uh, that's called self-destruction. Cut two.
6: Trump and the extreme MAGA Republicans have made their choice to go backwards, full of anger, violence, hate, and division. But we've chosen a different path. Forward, the future, unity, hope, and optimism.
2: Yeah, that's right. The the MAGA movement, not optimistic. Make America great again? Okay. We'll see. The acronym when broken out, I think it's something everybody embraces. But when he came out and named called... Republicans fascists. This is what Carl Rove said last night with
11: Jesse. Cut 14. That was what he exemplified in the campaign. Vote for me and I will unite the nation. And those words, which were kind, emotional, uplifting, optimistic words, he went to Montgomery County, Maryland, to a Democratic National Committee fundraiser and, and basically said everything against what he had said in his inauguration address. The pledge that he made to unite the country. He, he, he threw it in the trash bin. And why did he do that? Because he wants to win in this election and he is willing to say and do anything in order to achieve his purpose. So let's take 72,216,000 Americans and denounce them as believing in a fascist movement. It's- he ought to be ashamed.
2: Right. Stephen Miller couldn't believe it. Last night he was on with Laura Ingram, He said, really? We're fascists? Let's just look at your track record. Cut cut 15.
4: What is fascism? Raiding the home of your political opponent for purely political reasons? Shutting down people's lives and businesses? Kicking people out of school because they won't get your vaccine? Leaving people at the mercy of violent criminals while weaponizing justice against your political opposition, those are fascist actions. You know what else is fascist? Forgiving student loan debt illegally, going around Congress with no constitutional authority instead of asking for a law. All of those activities are fascist.
2: Yeah, uh, so go ahead, uh, Mr. Mandate. Call everybody else fascist. I would think it's just the opposite. I would think that uh, Donald Trump, this should reinforce, watching this speech yesterday, should reinforce why President Trump should not declare or say much Outside the raid that affects him directly or say much leading up to the midterms. If he wants his people to be effective, if he decides that him campaigning with Dr. Oz, with Herschel Walker helps do it with Mastriano, do it. But besides that, don't get into it. Don't make it about you, Mr. President, because it's not going to work to your ultimate objective, and that is to get as many as your candidates in and put Republicans back on power. It'll be scary if we don't need Joe Manchin's vote, as much as he let us down recently, and Kristen Sinema, because you don't want to give the, the Democrats a chance to add two states to the union, get rid of the filibuster and everything else that they want to do and do nationalized voting reform. You can't do that through reconciliation, but you never know what they're up to. There's a lot of Democrats who see the president of the United States and really want no part of them. Cut 12.
0: Do you support the president in his re-election bid?
4: I'm working on my own election, and that's all I'm focused on right
0: now. Would
7: you support Biden-Harris ticket in 2024? I'm looking squarely towards 2022 and the re-election ahead of me. I'm not talking about the 2022
6: election and 2024. I'm just asking you whether you would support Do you want to see Joe Biden? I don't want
0: to answer that question because we have not... That's not... Yeah, I don't want to answer that question. (laughs)
6: <laughs>
2: that was Cori Bush. Then she goes, I don't have any time. I don't have any time to answer that question. It's a yes or no. What do you mean you're out of time? It's so exhausting and takes forever to say no. I don't want him to run for re-election. So I wanted to bring this up. You probably don't follow the New York State Senate candidate, Kristen Gonzalez. But guess who mentors her? AOC. And she said, as they, uh, as the saying goes, said the quiet part out loud, when celebrating, cut 13. Yes, I do want to get rid of more of my money. I want to be less productive. And if I am productive, I'd like to give away most of my money. I'd like to be assigned an apartment, a dog, a future. Please don't make this whole capitalism thing take root. All right, you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm going to come back and take your calls. and But when we do come back, the first thing I'm going to do is uh, tell you what Zuckerberg said to Joe Rogan yesterday. We have some of this tape as it relates to 2020. And believe it or not, what Nate Silver said on 538. You take both these items, as I explain them to you, Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, if they were really trying to get truth, justice in the American way, they would say, now I have a problem with the 2020 election. You are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
9: Is there regret for not having it evenly distributed and for throttling the distribution of that story?
10: What do you mean evenly distributed?
9: I mean evenly in that it's not suppressed. It's not. Yeah, some... yeah,
10: yeah. I mean, it's it sucks.
9: Yeah, he doesn't feel that bad. It sucks that we
2: got the Hunter Biden laptop story wrong, and it turns out it was his laptop. You might have called him. You said, I have a third-party team, Mark Zuckerberg, and sitting down with Joe Rogan to review things like this. And the FBI had warned us about things like this. So we just decided to suppress, not get rid of the story, suppress it. But as Miranda Devine defined further in a way that not many people have written up, and as you know, she wrote the book Laptop from Hell. She said before Twitter banned it, Facebook suppressed it, and that laid the groundwork for everybody else to destroy the New York Post website, uh, freeze all their social media, not let them use Twitter and Facebook. And if you actually were forwarding the story like Kaylee McEnany was forwarding the New York Post story, even though she had COVID at the time, they suspended her account. So it was a massive push. Then 51 intel experts say this is classic Russian disinformation. No, either that, it was a shirtless crackhead who had dropped his laptop off at a local repair shop, and the guy had a chance to look at it to fix it and saw all these horrific images and thought, I better give this to the FBI. And then they tried to arrest the FBI. The FBI tried to harass him for bringing it forward. Then we also have a whistleblower that came forward and said, to other FBI agents, do not investigate this laptop. I am not going to be part of a, a be a, play a role in another election. It wasn't up to you FBI to decide what you're investigating. There was a major story, not just of a president's son, not of like George W. Bush who had a DWI when I think he was in college. That emerged. I'm talking about an international trade deal done with the big guy known as the president of the United States, done by his son who might be compromised because of hookers and crack. No joke, Jack. Incredible that Mark Zuckerberg spouts that out after talking about his Oculus glasses, virtual reality, as well as grappling and mixed martial arts with Joe Rogan, the podcast legend. So to me, that is a big deal. And so is this. 538's Nate Silver Openly speculated in Politico if the vaccine actually was found out and could have been announced before the election, and they held it back because everyone at Pfizer is so politically to the left. And they knew if Warp Speed produced a vaccine before the election, Donald Trump would benefit. You bet he would have benefited. It shows it worked. Instead, days after the election, Pfizer's got an announcement we have a vaccine. Liz Cheney, biggest anti-Trumper in the world, by far, should be just as angry as anybody else. Adam Kinzinger, biggest anti, second biggest anti-Trumper, should be angry. Because you're a Republican and you're a conservative, and most of your your voting reflects that, and you could see two major incidents that have nothing to do with President Trump, except for his team put together Operation Warp Speed, that With all the missteps the president made, the one thing he did is get out of the way and let private industry take over, cut deals with the pharmaceutical industry, and we're able to go mRNA vaccine, and it's still the most effective, even though we're a few variants in, and it's not so effective anymore. Case in point, Jill Biden. the Joe Biden blew it, in my opinion. Joe Biden blew it with the mandates. That got people angry. So right now we're waiting on an affidavit, an affidavit that was going to show why Merrick Garland did the extraordinary step of sending in the FBI to raid the president's house for nine hours, go into his safe and his wife's sock drawer and dresses. No joke. So the affidavit's going to be released. Evidently, the DOJ got the affidavit, redacted what they wanted to the judge. The judge saw a little problem with it, said today around 12 Eastern noon, I will release this and we're waiting on it. My speculation is it's gonna be a lot in there because the judge, if it was heavily redacted to the point being unreasonable, the judge said I had to send it back. He didn't send it back. So here's Jonathan Turley, Cut 23.
5: The Justice Department is notorious for over-redactions and over-classifications to serve tactical purposes. I've been in cases uh, where both of those problems have appeared, where judges have agreed uh, that the Justice Department has over-redacted material uh, the, the concern I have is that the, gov- the judge does not appear to have pushed back. Uh, he's suggesting that the government got it just right. He doesn't have uh, any area where he's saying, look, I still think you need to explore this section or that section. It, does, it is surprising,
2: but I did predict here that the government wants this over with because this is bigger than they ever thought. And if they just give a heavily redacted document back, the judge is going to go, you get, you're embarrassing me. We, I told you, you know the parts we got to redact. you got to get rid of the names. you got to maybe give up. Uh, you better redact some things to talk about the direction of the investigation. That if there is one, that Donald Trump may, uh, it may be detrimental to the investigation to head him off or tip him off. I get it. But for the most part, it looks as though the Department of Justice handed in a document that's reasonable. Josh Krashauer says, having said all that, you know, Josh, he's, he's with uh, Politico. Uh, was on Special Report last night, Axios, rather. Josh Krashauer said this about what to expect in a matter of moments. Cut 35.
4: I don't think it'll shed a whole lot of light. I think we'll learn some details. About the justification for for the search, but really the the political the most politically explosive details are what what is in those documents. Well, what what did Trump keep the classified information? What what are the national security secrets? How how, how damaging was that to American national security? And I, I don't think that's going to be revealed. I think a lot of that information is is going to be redacted. So it, it's going to be back to a you know political fight that's very partisan.
2: Yeah, and perhaps. But we'll find out more and we'll definitely have make whatever it is. They're going to make the president look terrible because the affidavit had to be written in a way in which they got the okay to go in. So they're going to say impossible and transient. We wrote him in May. We met with him in June. And then on June 22nd, it looks like a whistleblower stepped forward who had witnessed some documents and people around it. They asked for the surveillance camera. They gave it to him, but they didn't give him surveillance. Uh, They didn't look at the surveillance or didn't release the surveillance of the nine hour raid. Which was all taped the best they could because Mar-a-Lago, like every sophisticated health club, knows it can be sued if someone falls or whatever happens. So they taped everything. The Trump, uh, excuse me, the Biden team wanted everything. The Trump said, no, we're not going to do it. When we come back, uh, we have some fun. We go insight, uh, insightfully uh, in a very comedic way with Jamie Lissau, a fine comedian in his own right. He's divorced and from Alaska. That's all I'll tell you about him personally. This is the Brian Kilmeade show. So glad you're here.
1: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade show.
11: Alaska is a weird place. We get um sometimes of the year it will be only one hour of daylight for the entire day. And some people don't like that. And I go, dude, that's my favorite. It's my favorite time of the year. I just feel so, like, productive. (laughs) You know, I'm like, man, what what I do today, I did stuff all day today. Yeah, from sunup to sundown. (laughs) Yeah, I was working till the wee hours of the afternoon all day today, just doing it, getting stuff done.
2: And that is uh, Jamie Lissow. Is that the way you pronounce your name?
11: Uh, Yeah, I say Lissow. A lot of people say Lissow. Oh, you, you – so
2: I should say it right. Lisa.
11: Including Gutfeld. Yeah, Maybe right. I've been saying it wrong.
2: Right. I never thought about – I never thought you'd take the blame. <laughs> uh, Jamie, great to see you. That was you doing stand-up, and yeah. people see you all over Gutfeld now. Now, Gutfeld show was – I loved it when it was Red Eye. Same. Right. Were you on it when it was I Red was a, Eye? I did yeah. Red Eye
11: like 40 times. So
2: describe the difference from when you did Red Eye with Gutfeld as as Jamie Lisso. Yes. As, a, as opposed to what he calls you Lissow. Uh-huh. Right? And as opposed to this show.
11: The biggest difference, Brian, is that people are watching the new show. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, but it's kind of funny, though, man, because I did Red Eye so many times. I met Gutfeld. They did an audition at Gotham Comedy Club in New York to find comedians that would go on Red Eye. And I did a set. And I was like, okay. I wasn't, Was he like, there? Gutfeld was there. I didn't know. Didn't know him at the time. And I did my set, and then afterwards there was like a bar next door, and he came up to me and he goes, dude, he's like, um, I don't know if he even remembers this, but he goes, people keep coming up to me saying good set. They thought we were dressed exactly alike. We both had glasses on and these like blazer things, and that's how we met was that people were telling him wow. he was funny, which was like a compliment for me. you know? So I guess I did okay, and then I did that show. I went on to, you know, we became good friends, and I right. probably did it like 40 times. But I
2: remember Red Eye used to beat Anderson Cooper. Seriously, and it, I mean, their ratings were really good. It got crazy, right, yeah. Right, it got crazy. yeah. So, and because no one really knew what you were doing, though. Right. It was, I mean, that stuff was really racy.
11: It was the Wild West. Right. It was amazing. and But it wouldn't... It was the most fun, but it, well, I'll tell you, as a, as a comedian, it really got me used to cameras. Giant cameras used to freak me out. Red Eye 40 times. It's like, it's just easy. You know how it is with your own show. Like, all yeah. of a sudden, you, you almost love the camera. You start to play with, Like, you become more comfortable. And so Red Eye really did that for me. And then... But no, but it didn't make an impact. Certain things don't impact the comedy club audience. It's very strange. Like, that was a great show. I have a Netflix series. I have, I'm in two seasons of a Netflix original show. And people Which is watch what? it. It's called Real Rob with Rob Schneider.
5: All
2: right.
11: But it's not like, I've no, you know, I go to comedy clubs and some people will come. But it's not like filling up because of the Netflix show. You never know what will do that. Gutfeld will do that. Wow. So I did. I came back. My like re... Resurgence with Gutfeld was like six months ago, and I did one spot one night. It was great. Flew in from Alaska, and that weekend I was opening for Rob Schneider. And after the show, this guy comes up and he goes, "Oh, dude, I I came because you mentioned you were going to be here on Gutfeld." I'm like, "You did?" And then soon there was a
5: <laughs> line
11: of people, in like fifty people, right? Paid like forty bucks. I'm the opener. I'm doing fifteen minutes to come see me open for a guy, right? And I was like, "This is interesting." And then we just, you know, I, I started being out in every two weeks, then every week, and then, and now, dude, Brian, it's, it's, I've been doing comedy for twenty five years. I did the Tonight Show in two thousand one. You did? That's how old I am.
2: So who was hosted? Leno?
11: Leno. All right, but it's been a long time. Yeah, of pretty mediocre. Like it, I did so okay. Did you kill?
2: Did you kill on uh, the Tonight Show? Did you best set I've ever had? Right in my whole life. And and the next day was wasn't that transformational?
11: It was just a Wednesday. That was it. It did. It did, It really? wasn't. That blows me away. Do, you have to. I don't know if you ever heard. Uh, I love Steve Martin. In his book, he he sort of describes how. I thought. Oh, I came in on the school where the Tonight Show didn't impact it like it used to. Where you would just do once. And he said he did Carson like twenty times before he started filling up. Even for him, it like took a minute. Like it, wow. de- it depends.
2: He was filling out uh, arenas.
11: Yeah. Then. then he was. Then yeah. he, then it got crazy. Right. But yeah, man. This the the Gutfeld thing has been amazing. And then when you do – I've been doing comedy for 25 years. Like I worked like really hard at it even when no one knows who I am. And so now I have people – I was in St. Louis last weekend. Right. I didn't know if that was going to be a Gutfeld audience. Sold out four or five shows. They all already know. By the way, we have a huge station, KFTK, oh, in yeah? St. Louis. So we're national.
2: Uh, and that was probably uh, – the. It's, it's one of our most coveted affiliates. They are really into Fox and –
11: Man, I did the Funny Bone in St. Charles. What a town. What supportive people. And then you're doing comedy and people already know they already know I'm divorced cuz Greg makes fun of me all the time. And right. so you're it's almost like stand-up comedy is harder than being funny with your friends because there's no context. Like right. all the jokes with your friends are because we all know what happened last yeah, year yeah, yeah, and this yeah, guy's a yeah. drunk and and going on stage when they know you from Gutfeld is like that as opposed to building something from scratch like they all already know Dude, it's I can It's totally I'm a,
2: different, right? So when people yeah. come in the audience, for example, if they come to watch Gutfeld, they actually got tickets, even though it's free, and they took time out and they came to Manhattan, they waited two hours. So they're going to be ha- they're cheering for you, yes. As opposed to you go to Gotham Comedy Club with Chris Mazzilli, and you walk in there, and the you name you're not famous yet, yep. And those people said, "I paid my money, you better make me laugh." It's so so dramatically different.
11: Hundred percent. Right. Sometimes I feel like <laughs> in New York. They want – you got to earn it. Right. Like you really got to earn you're from it.
2: Alaska. Do you have any idea what New York was like when you got here?
11: So I grew up in Rochester, New York. Oh. Barely made it to the city though. We, we were always told it was dangerous and scary. We never – we were kind of poor. We never like made trips down here. And so I was, I was pretty familiar. By the
2: way, the criminals always go for the poor.
11: <laughs>
2: you know, know that. Yeah.
11: You can have my wallet. Put something in it.
2: Right. Uh, so it be great. So Rochester, by the way, I spent a lot of time were you searching Frederick Douglass. Oh, is that right? Do you know he's all over Rochester? I do know that. Did that matter to the people of Rochester?
11: I would say it didn't matter as much as, uh, like, George Eastman. George Eastman? because The uh, the Kodak. Oh, Eastman Kodak. That was the big... Right. Because I don't know anything about... I'll be honest with you. The only reason we all know George Eastman is because he just did a lot of stuff. There's, like, a lot of stuff around, and they go, oh, George Eastman did that. You know, like like a little museum or a... uh, you know, well, he his house is now a you can walk in and look around and stuff.
2: You know, it's pretty amazing. And this may not be funny, but I think it's noteworthy. So that's my whole act, by the way. That's why I say <laughs> when nobody be, laughs. It like, might no, not be funny, but it's was, noteworthy. It was, was noteworthy, though, right? Yeah, guys? I learned a lot from him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Someone of a seminar, not as many laughs as any other comedians. Yeah, I just tell him it's so, a TED so, talk if it's not going so, good. Right. So my daughter, who's 19, uh, she goes, she goes, I can't wait. I go, what? She goes. I took pictures on a disposable camera and I waited a month. I forgot what pictures there. I can't wait to get them back and find it. I go, what are you talking about? I go, she goes, it's going to be great. So like me and my friends, like, when are you going to develop those pictures? Wait, you act like this is an event? She had no wow. idea. The first time she ever went to a place to get pictures dropped off. Now, number wow. one, I should expose her to other things. It's bad parenting a little bit. I'm exposing myself. But number two is their focus on, like, the surprise of, like, I remember that picture as opposed to yeah. picking
11: up your phone. That's Talk a- about culture and generational. In your, we, they do miss a lot of those fun jo- – I, I, I've been to a wedding where they put disposable cameras yeah. on every t- – what a cool thing. Right. That doesn't happen probably anymore because we're all just documenting <laughs> But by the way, how many
2: people did things irresponsible without camera? Yeah,
11: there's a, there's a couple of shots in there that are not family-friendly. Right.
2: So when did you realize your divorce was okay to kid around about?
11: Uh, my ex-wife is the coolest chick. Like, we have a great relationship. And what I loved about her was her sense of humor from the start. Right. And her parents were gigantic Fox News and Gutfeld fans. When I started doing Red Eye, they were they couldn't believe. Even though you were divorced, yeah. So that I'm sorry, I'm I'm a terrible storyteller for being a (laughs) a comedian, but that was noteworthy, right? Yes, it was. Um, (laughs) So like, I start when I first met her, and like I was meeting her parents and trying to impress them. Being on Fox News was huge. It scored like all these points because they are such fans of Gutfeld and Fox News. And then so fast forward, we get divorced she she totally gets it like she gets comedy and she has a great sense of humor and so it was like do whatever you want right out of the gate but i will tell you that clip they played which makes me cringe hearing my own voice right um any clip would have made me cringe it's no it's not a producer's fault i just can't listen to my own comedy
2: so don't take it personal but that
11: uh that clip is from this thing called dry bar comedy have you ever heard of this No. So what happens is you go to – they call you up and go like, would you like to do a dry bar special? And you go, sure. And then they fly up and they pay a little bit of money and you do a half-hour special in Salt Lake City where the entire audience or or high 90 percent is Mormons. And the only requirements are you have to be so clean. And I don't mean like, of course, no F
5: words. I mean
11: you can't say the other butt word the a word for like you couldn't possibly say that they told me not to mention i was divorced they felt like that wouldn't be good either I, you can't say you certainly can't say oh my god i can't believe can't say oh my god like i right. mean this is like this is some <laughs> real so i i and that's not me really Did you
2: know this did you know the rules before you got up there i
11: did and i thought okay. about not doing it i thought i try i a couple times i go i don't know if this is for me and the guy goes it's fine it'll be a challenge and it'll be great and i go okay so i get there kill me and um they go, I do it, and I was, they were, they're were. they helping you by telling you, right. Don't, you can do whatever you want up there, but they're kind of going, it's going to really get our crowd oh. if you do it this way. You can do whatever you want. We'll bleep it out. We won't show, but like we're telling you, if you do it this way, you'll do good, and the crowd is amazing, and then afterwards, we're on a conference call, and they release your special. It goes on Amazon, and they go, what do you want to call it? And I go, and I'm on a conference call with like nine people, and I go, what if we call it? Jamie Lisso tries not to say the F word. And they go, no, we can't. <laughs> you can't say that. And I go, okay. And I go, what about if we call it, um, is it Mormon here or is it just me? <laughs> and they go, no, we can't. Yeah. We can't call that. So they end up calling it something, whatever. It's called like something awesome. Jamie on stage. It's right. on, yeah, it's just they picked right. a thing. But what's funny is sometimes, like I was walking through a mall last weekend, true story, with, a fr- with another comedian friend of mine, Josh Need, and we're walking. This couple comes up and they go, we can't believe you guys are in this mall. And I go, it's got to be Godfeld, right? They must know me from Godfeld. And I go, oh, where do you know us from? They go, they go Dry Bar. And me and my friend <laughs> both have like big dry. <laughs> and they go, what are you doing here? We go, oh, we had a show tonight. They go, you got this is a am- you don't know how- this is crazy. We're walking through the mall. We see two of our favorite Dry Bar It's The craziest thing ever. They came to the show. My friend was opening. I was closing. He was doing thirty minutes. They left within thirty minutes because they think that our acts are this crazy clean Mormon thing, but they're not. That was just for that <laughs> one night. <laughs> <laughs> and my friend's Joe, he's very clean. But right. all, I, he did but some Knox joke about... But Yeah, he did joke about, like, I swear it wasn't dirty. Like, it was like, he was looking at an ultrasound, and the baby's legs were open, and he's like, oh, I hope it's a boy, I don't want it to be... You know, some kind of... That was it. And they got up and walked out, and wow. they, they left. Well, I know Ainsley
2: uh, was uh, one of the panelists. I don't know if you were there. Ainsley Earhart oh, yeah. was on Gutfeld. Were you on with her? I was not. Well, she brought her eight-year-old or seven-year-old, she he, she lasted like three minutes, right? She <laughs> yeah, had to quickly yeah. be escorted out by ushers that we didn't have. But so, so, Jamie, we're going to find out if you, in fact, oh, there's um, Mark Zuckerberg. We should actually play that for you. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd love to hear that. Is he's that talking to Joe Rogan. Yeah, he's talking to Joe Rogan. He opens up, I guess he's trying to bond with him, mm-hmm. but he says he does mixed martial arts and he loves wrestling with all his friends.
11: Okay. And, I didn't hear that part.
2: Yeah, it's fantastic. Wow. And he loves to surf. He's desperately trying mm-hmm. to broaden out a little, mm-hmm. but he is remarkably intelligent.
11: Don't you have the feeling that every like as he's talking, he's like a robot trying to pretend he's human? Yes. Like, I'm a person. And we'll play that example in just a moment because Jamie lissow mm-hmm. Lisso. Crushed it.
2: Right, good. Uh, —is here, and he is actually going to be on One Nation this weekend if we come to terms with him because they're even stricter than the dry bar terms. <laughs> Back in a moment.
1: This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. Because apparently he's cheaper than infomercials for non-stick pans. That is not true. (laughs) Chill out, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. Breaking news, unique opinions, hear it all on The Brian
10: Kilmeade Show. Basically, the background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, some some folks on our team, and was like, hey, um, just so you know, like, you should be on high alert. There was, the, we, we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of, of, um, uh, that's similar to that, so just be vigilant. I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being um, being determined whether it was false. Um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it. You could still consume it.
9: Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story?
10: I, I, no. I, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was. it basically fit the pattern.
2: Jamie Lissow here. You're hearing this for the first time, Jamie, right? Mm, So what is your take? This is like two and a half hours in after going over grappling and UFC and uh, uh, Oculus glasses. He comes out and he's talking about the New York Post getting their their whole newspaper was brought down. Their account was frozen. If you retweeted it, you were frozen out of Twitter. And this story was suppressed on Facebook. Miranda Devine came on earlier who who wrote the book Laptop from Hell. And Jamie, she said that they were the first. And if Facebook didn't take the aggressive action, Twitter wouldn't either. So, what do you think about his delivery? Do you believe a word he's saying?
11: Dude, when I fe- when I first heard Rogan talking to Zuckerberg, my first thought was, I want to be on Rogan. And then I was able to really listen. And um, it's this makes I, it's hard not to. I'm not kidding. It's hard not to curse almost. Right. I want to say like, be this is such bull. Like it's I don't and, believe, I don't believe anything he's saying. I mean. Oh, we just let
2: well, the FBI brief me generically, and then this came across, and I was surfing at the time, and I just said, well, why don't we just sink it? By the way, really? I thought the algorithm was supposed to be pure, where if there's a popular story, becomes number one. Right. No, I'm going to sink it and make it hard, and both sides were mad at me. Believe
11: me, the Democrats were not mad at you. Oh. Absolutely. And it doesn't it sound like he's kind of making up some – there comes a moment where I go, I think he's trying to say whatever he – like, I think he's in his head. Right. And he's analyzing every word he's saying to not get in trouble. There's a moment where I feel that. Like, uh, whenever I hear Zuckerberg talk, I feel like he's just, like, a million percent – like, he's got – like, he, during this interview, he took a break and plugged himself in for a half hour. <laughs> I like, need to
6: recharge. There's this
11: moment where – dude, Rogan is – I feel like that's why Rogan's so good because he gets him comfortable. Right. He gets him in there for three hours, and that's why we get these admissions –
2: Are you comfortable now?
11: Yeah, I feel good. Thank you. I feel comfortable.
2: Hey, Eric, can you play the other Rogan cut? Okay.
9: Is there regret for not having it evenly distributed and for throttling the distribution of that story?
10: What do you mean evenly distributed?
9: I mean evenly in that it's not suppressed. It's not. Yeah, yeah,
10: yeah. I mean, it's it sucks.
2: Mm. Well, forgiven. Mm. It sucks. It sucks that... A crack addicted son was doing international business deals with his dad, benefiting prohibitively. It's not a matter of George W. Bush getting DWI, what he would did when he was twenty, right. which really affected the election against John uh, against Al Gore. Mm-hmm. This is different. This really affects who you vote for because it's going to affect how we deal with our adversaries.
11: And you just said it. It's not. I hear some folks go like, "Well, it's his son. What does it have to do with him?" Well, take away all that. What about the fact that there's the big the big guy? Fought, you know, he's benefiting. From from some of these things. Right. That, that's the connection, right? right? You can't do that.
2: But it, but out of all the sons that could drop off their laptop oh. in a repair shop, what are the odds? What do you think it was like in the Biden house? And they go, excuse me, where's your laptop?
11: Can you, can, I don't know. Did you know he took it to a place called You Break It, We Leak It? Which <laughs> it I did the, not know that. Yeah. And I at did. first they couldn't get it open because it was stuck shut. But then they right. um, nah, I'm just We kidding. don't he know why. Uh, he likes candy. He's a big fan of candy. And uh, what... What if you're the president on don't you have and he's the he's supposed to be the young guy. I could see if like I'm an older guy, I make right. a mistake, I tell you I don't know that you can get things off of a laptop. Of all the he's like the young guy, shouldn't he know that there's a horrible mistake? Right. Don't you got a guy? Oh, how about this? He writes
2: a book, goes on a book tour and doesn't have an answer to the question was that your laptop? He goes, "I don't know." I don't know. <laughs> you got You got to plan that one. Yeah, I mean, Don't beach me if that's my
11: laptop with me with hookers smoking crack. Dude, this guy. But I'm still going to write a book. I blame Biden a little bit because I heard when he paid him his allowance, he would roll up the dollar bills like cocaine straws. Again,
2: that's a great point. That's your research. That's your research. I
11: I do deep dives. Jamie will be
9: on One Nation. It is. The
8: world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.